And so greetings all of you on the bus trip. Okay. So yeah, well, our numbers are diminished a little bit because of the bus trip. Uh, all the cars parked out in the parking lot uh, for the people who are on the uh, trip to the Ark Encounter and the uh, Creation Museum. So praise the Lord. We'll pray for them that they have a safe trip. But for us, we're going to finish up our study of understanding our post-Christian culture. You should have two handouts, uh, part four uh, on the outline, and then a sheet that says American Founding Fathers and Faith. So we're going to look at those uh, tonight as we wrap up. Right? Let's pray and we'll get underway here. Lord, we thank you for this evening and a chance to fellowship and gather together. We pray that you give us new insight by your word as you help us understand who we are as people of your kingdom. But Lord, we're also king, uh, citizens of this American uh, country, and we pray that we'd understand our, our role here. Help us to be uh, people who, who live in both kingdoms and continue to do the work you've called us to do. Lord, we pray a blessing on our brothers and sisters on the bus trip to Ohio and Kentucky. We pray for safety for them as they travel and as they uh, take in the Creation Museum on Ark Encounter. We pray a blessing over them that they gain new insights to the glory of your creation and the judgment of your uh, worldwide flood, but the mercy you provided. And Lord, I pray that we'd be able to understand the opportunities we have to talk about both that judgment and mercy you offer today taking our sin out on Christ and giving us freedom, giving us uh, salvation. Lord, we pray for opportunities to witness and uh, have the courage to take them. Pray, Holy Spirit, to give us words to say. And again, so we can understand the times and know what to do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you remember in part one, we talked about uh, understanding our post-Christian culture and how you, you're seeing an increase in atheism in the United States. And for many people, you simply have to ask them about spiritual things. You, you have to bring it to the table. They're just not thinking about it. Part two, we talked about the reality of the hostility people have towards Christians, right? Uh, really to any religion, but specifically Christianity in general. Christianity is hostile, it's extreme, it's irrelevant. And to, to understand that, part three is where we talked about critical theory and how this came to America in the 1930s. And once you understand that, this has been being taught in universities for the past 80 years, critical theory developed by Marxists to attack capitalism, an economic system, and then Christianity, the moral foundation of the country. So that's why, as we talked about some of these examples, you see throughout your life now, we'll redefine marriage, we'll redefine what gender is, uh, the situation down in Houston with the robot sex brothels was the, the thing I brought up last week. It, it just continues to progress. And so if you stand for a biblical morality, you're viewed as oppressive and repressive. You're the problem. If we didn't have your religious beliefs, the country would be a much better place. Couldn't have scripted some of this stuff if I tried, right? I couldn't have scripted it if I tried. Anne Hathaway, the actress, just received an award at the Human Rights Campaign, or from the Human Rights Campaign, for her work in LGBTQ efforts. So lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning efforts. This is what she said at the awards. Let's tear this world apart and build a better one. And so when you understand the mentality, we're going to tear this world apart and build a better one. You, you, you hear this in, in many different avenues. There's a problem here. It's those people that are the problem. They have this morality. They need to be taken out. Then it will just, just be better, right? 
We talked about worldviews. If you start with the assumption there's no God, we're basically good. That's why they believe this. Well, we're basically good, and there's problems in the world due to this group. It's not us, because we're good, all right? And so we should be able to do whatever we want. If people didn't have restrictions, the world would be a better place, all right? So when you understand that, you can, you can understand, as you go to page uh, four now, part four of the outline, why Christian leaders have been saying you've got to understand the times and know what to do. So First Chronicles 12, 32, we talked about this at the beginning. You and I need to understand the times and know what to do, like the men of Issachar did when they came to David's side as he took the throne in Israel. So take a, take a look at the quotes at the top of part four. I, I don't know if we shared this one uh, last week. Martin Castro, chairman of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. The phrases religious liberty and religious freedom will stand for nothing except hypocrisy so long as they remain code words for discrimination, intolerance, racism, sexism, homophobia, Islamophobia, Christian supremacy, or any form of intolerance. So if you, if you understand critical theory, the idea that we're gonna criticize and be critical of this nation, its moral foundations, its economic basis, this is the basis then for all these studies you see on campus. So women's studies and, 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 and lesbian and, and gay studies and this study and that study. And so when you understand that's the underpinning of it, that's why you'll see this phrase again and again and again. This is a racist, sexist, homophobic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, nation that needs to be destroyed, right? Remember, tolerance, the new definition of tolerance, when we talked about postmodernism, there is no capital T truth, it's just whatever you think. So there's all these different truths, and so you can't say one truth is better than another. And if you do, you're being intolerant. So when Christianity goes, oh, there's truth, right? That's, no, 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 that's not true, right? So we can't allow that. It, we will not tolerate your intolerance. Uh, take a look at number two there. Nancy Piercy, I mentioned her before, uh, grew up as a Lutheran, uh, wandered from the faith, went to find truth, eventually came back to Christianity. Professor at uh, Houston Baptist University. She's outstanding. Uh, young people are not going to survive in this increasingly secular society if we don't find a way to permeate every field with apologetics, a defense of the faith. She said, not just in religious classes, but in everything. You have to teach young people how to defend a Christian perspective in their fields. Young people's questions are going to be different from the questions faced by earlier generations. Uh, I think we, we mentioned uh, uh, post-birth abortion, correct? Infanticide. So the idea of, well, why don't we legalize abortion in the 10th month of life, all right? So we, we already kill babies in the womb in nine months. Why can't we, after the baby's been born for a month, still have the right to take the child's life if you decide, you know what, I don't want this child after all, okay? Especially if you didn't know, even with all the tests that we have, that the child had a birth defect. Why should you be burdened with raising a child with a birth defect? We should have the right to do that. So you're gonna have more and more questions, for example, on personhood. Well, is that infant a person? Well, yes, they're living, they're human, but they're not a person. So it doesn't matter what the field is, it's gonna be everywhere. Number three, Russell Moore, part of the Southern Baptist Convention, he says it like this, it's vital for mature believers to be training up a new generation of children to know what it's like to live among people who will see Christianity as very strange. We have to train children. 
had an opportunity on uh, Friday to talk to the Southern Illinois and Central Illinois District Teachers Convention. There's 400 teachers down there. And many of the things I shared with you, I shared with them in the keynote. We, we've got to change what we're doing. And nobody wants to hear this, all right? Because everybody's overworked, everybody's stressed. But the reality is, if you're going to prepare kids to enter a 21st century world in education, we're always talking about, well, we need the four C's. It's not the three R's anymore, reading, writing, arithmetic. We need the four C's. We need communication, collaboration, creativity, and critical thinking. We need kids to be able to communicate. We need kids to collaborate. We need kids to be critical thinkers. We need kids to be creative. And what I encouraged them was understand as Christians, as people in Lutheran schools, high schools, grade schools, we need to add two more C's. We need to have conviction, and we need to be citizens. We need to be understanding the time we live in to be able to defend the faith and, and understand. People are going to look at you, and you just are odd. Why do you live the way you do? Why do you think the way you do? And that's why you've got pastors today saying, you know what you do? You beat them to the punch. What is up with? So we talked about that. You, you just beat them to the punch because they already think you're hostile, you're, you're irrelevant, you're extreme. Number four. As, as Guinness, Christian uh, author, speaker, apologist, he says, increasingly we're likely to be a counterculture. As that happens, we will be the last great defenders of reason, of truth, of human dignity. So many different positions now, and we need to know them, what the consequences are likely to be, and how to argue with them persuasively. Today, almost nothing can, can be taken for granted. The foundations have to be put back into everything. So he says, look, when you abandon truth, capital T truth, he goes, you will be the defenders of truth. There is no truth. Well, is that a true statement? <laughs> so you're going to have to get people to, to think rationally through things, logically. Well, it's true for me, it's just not true for you. Well, you're claiming there's no truth, and the only truth is that there is no truth. That's a, that's a contradiction, right? So you're going to be a defender of reason, of logic, right? Uh, when you hear some of the things that are going on on campuses, your head spins because you go, I can't believe this. This is really happening? Yes, this is happening. It's not, a, it's not a fairy tale. So he says, you've got to know these different positions. That's why I'm a firm believer. You've got to teach worldviews. You've got to teach postmodernism, Islam, secular humanism, Marxism, New Age. You've got to understand what these people believe because they come at life with a different mental map. And that colors then how they view things. So you got to know where they're coming from so you can talk to them. And then as he's, he goes on, he says, uh, nothing can be taken for granted. The foundations have to be put in everything. So we're going to look at the American founding fathers. And so before they're dismissed as white, privileged landowners, before they're just dismissed out of hand because of the amount of melanin in their skin, and the gonads that they have, all right, before you just dismiss them, listen to them. Do they have anything to say? They're not perfect. They're not perfect at all. But do, is there anything that they bring to the table that as Christians we go, well, maybe we should listen to them. Uh, Eric Tietzel is um, now not with Manhattan Declaration. Um, he's with another organization. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but bottom line, when he said this, uh, to the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod a, a couple of years back. He said this, religious liberty is paramount. There's a growing, a real growing push to eliminate what to date had been fairly unanimously accepted religious liberty exemptions from otherwise acceptable laws. 
Recognizing this, he said, makes inspiring the next generation incredibly important and extremely difficult. He's just laying it on the line. Look, religious liberty, you've got to understand how vital this is. We're going to talk about this tonight. That's really hard. He's going to train up a generation to, to, to understand this. In the past, though, well, everybody just said, yeah, you're free to believe whatever you want. It doesn't matter, right? He said he believes Christians are up to the long-term challenge. We understand ourselves to be salt and light. We should want the absolute best thing for one another and then allow our facts, figures, and arguments to buttress that position, all with the goal of pointing fellow Americans to the cross. So again, he was, you've got to know your stuff, all right? But you've got to be able to reason with people. You've got to be able to point people eventually to, to Christ, and that's the, the main thing. Uh, Pastor Erwin Lutzer at Moody Church in Chicago just says it like this, the day of the casual Christian are over. No longer is it possible to drift along hoping no tough choices will have to be made. You know what, I, I, I can just keep my head down and I can just be about my business. No, because you're going to have to speak up. And the minute you speak up, you'll be, you'll, you'll be caught in the crosshairs. That's why I think a lot of us are just afraid, like I don't know what to do, right? So whether it's online or in person, do I say anything? You have to. You're salt and light. Albert Moeller, uh, head of the uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, says it like this, there will be no place to hide, and there will be no way to remain silent. To be silent will answer the question. The question is whether evangelicals will remain true to the teaching of Scripture. Where do you stand? What do you say? If you're not going to answer, he goes, uh, that speaks volumes right there, right? Finally, Francis George, he passed away. He was the Cardinal of Chicago. He said this, and this is stunning. He goes, it's likely that I'll die in my bed. My successor will die in prison. His successor will die executed in the public square. His successor will pick up the shards of a ruined society and slowly rebuild civilization as the church has done so often in human history. That's a powerful quote. Today is, uh, or today we're celebrating Columbus Day. Okay. And so on campuses and in cities around the, the country, they talk about tearing down statues. And so as you continue to watch this happen, you'll see it for different people in the past, right? So we should tear down that person's statue. We should tear down that person's statue. I was shocked to hear people defacing an Abraham Lincoln statue. And then the argument from these college students was, he owned slaves. You just shake your head and go, what happened in your education that you think Abraham Lincoln owned slaves? He did not. Now, did, was Abraham Lincoln a perfect president? No, you, you will never find a perfect leader. But understand, when you erase your history, you have no connection. But that's really what's going on. That's what you have to understand. You talk about postmodernism, there's no truth, okay? Everything is just small t truths that people or groups have, right? But the other thing is this. This is what life's all about, you. The idea of a meta-narrative, the idea of a big story. So when you talk about creation and judgment day, and Jesus Christ entering time and space, living on planet Earth, evidence for him outside the Bible, 
There's evidence for this. We do not believe a fairy tale, right? But God created and God will judge. This is a meta-narrative, a big story. Postmodernism doesn't believe in meta-narratives. You weren't there. You weren't there at the beginning. Whether you want to talk Big Bang or God's creation in six days. You weren't there. You don't know. Life's all about you. What you think. And when you start disconnecting from your past because you don't like it, you just become adrift. And so you've you got to understand, warts and all, this is our country. And as I've shared with you before, the best house in a bad neighborhood. It is not a perfect place. Everybody understands that. But if out of the 193 other choices on the planet, this is the best house in a bad neighborhood, right? So let's understand kingdoms of the right and left hand. In your Bible, let's go to Acts 16. Let's go to Acts 16. As Christians, we live in two kingdoms simultaneously. The kingdom of the left hand and the kingdom of the right hand. And so we're American citizens, but we're also part of God's kingdom. And so we live in these two kingdoms. And so here's a different way to think about this, all right? They're, they're, they're distinct and different, and you live in both of them, and, and there's work to do in both, all right? Now, I gave you a number of cross-references on the sheet. We don't have time to look at them all, but I'll just summarize real quick, and you can take a look at them later. Luke 12, Jesus is asked by a man, Hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And Jesus goes, Man, who appointed me a judge and arbiter between you guys, all right? So it's this great moment where, hey, we got this problem here on a state level, on a, on a temporal level, and Jesus goes, since when did I become Judge Judy? All right, really? So I got to divide up your heritage? Come on now. I gave you John 18, 36. He's on trial before Pilate. Are you a king? I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. Okay. Hebrews 11, again, because of our time constraints, we can't look at these. You can look at these on your own. Hebrews 11, Christians longing for a heavenly kingdom. All right, Understanding when, when you read Hebrews, it's written to people who are experiencing persecution here and now. So the message is trying to comfort them. Don't lose your faith. Don't back off the faith in the face of persecution, even though you're awaiting a better country, a heavenly country. All right? But now you're in Acts 16. We're in verses 16 to 40. Here's what you'll see in this passage. Paul, operating with, in both kingdoms, preaching the gospel, but also a Roman citizen, with rights, with a, uh, uh, things granted to him because he's, he's born a, a Roman citizen. Acts 16, 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gained by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And, she kept this, uh, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. This girl is possessed. She has an ability to uh, do divination or predict the future. The, the, the Spirit does, all right? Only God is omniscient. So we, we can talk about the occult more if you need that. The bottom line is uh, it's prohibited in, in, in Deuteronomy 18. And so this concept of divination, only God knows the future, right? Psychics have a terrible track record. You can just keep track of psychic predictions for 2019. You'll see how banned they are. Bottom line, the spirit, though, has 
some knowledge that it can make predictions and, and, and have these things come true and, or know what's, what's going to occur. And so uh, they're making money off of her. And so when the spirit is cast out, because she's disrupting the evangelism, these men are servants of the Most High who are telling you how to be saved. Paul is so frustrated, he tells the spirit to leave. Well, the spirit goes, well, now she's just a normal human girl. And the slave owners are out of their, their money-making ability, right? So take a look at verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as, as Romans to accept their practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the robes off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So Paul, he's a member of the kingdom of God. He's in the kingdom of the right hand. He's out there preaching the gospel. All right, He's doing what God calls him to do. He's been equipped to, as an evangelist, and that's what he's doing. Well, now he's hacked off people. And so they beat him, and this is where they cross the line in the kingdom of the left hand. Can't do that. No trial. All of a sudden, they just start beating the snot about him, and, and they throw him in jail. Verse 20, or verse, uh, excuse me, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Isn't that great? So they're, they're, they're probably seated, and, and they're, they, they can't lay down, all right? But they're, but they're uh, chained down. And so they're singing, and, and they're, they're praising the Lord, right? And the prisoners are listening to them. So, kingdom of the right hand. <laughs> we're, just, we're going to do evangelism now, but we're just going to do it in, in jail here. And we're going, to, we're going to worship, all right? And so there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everybody's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoner had escaped. Roman soldier in charge of prisoners, if the prisoner got away, you're going to get what they're going to get, right? So he just thinks, oh my gosh, it's over. I'm just going to take my own life. My prisoners are all gone. But, cry, but Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we're all here. If you're one of the other prisoners, you've got to be thinking, Paul, shut up. <laughs> what do you mean, we're all here? He didn't know where we were. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He had heard, he had heard, he heard the singing, the praising. He said, what? what? I got to know what you got, because I want it, right? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once he and his, all his family then he brought them into his house and set food before him and rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God what a beautiful picture from jailer to brother in the Lord ministering to the wounds that he had inflicted on them and then breaking bread together in fellowship again this, this, it's always this beautiful image of what happens when people are at peace? Well, back in biblical times, especially the Old Testament, there's a war, now it's over, now we have this meal, and we're now no longer enemies. Here's this peace meal, if you will, all right? So here's this concept of, of, of uh, just a renewed relationship with once, what was once a, 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 uh, an oppressor. 
35, but when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, now he's a member of the Roman Empire. This is left-hand stuff, kingdom of the left hand. Watch this. They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. It's a great section. Paul goes, really? Okay, you beat us, you throw us in jail without a trial, and now just go, just leave out the back way. Sorry. Sorry. No! You can have those guys come down here and you're going out the front door and they're leading the way. They were wrong. You violated our rights. It's kingdoms of the right hand and left hand. We've got to understand that. All right. So notice on the outline there. What's the kingdom of the right hand the church doing? Well, it's got an eternal focus, heaven, using the power of heaven, God, and the authority of the Bible to preach the gospel after law is administered. So law shows us our sin, gospel shows us our savior. Do you have to be involved? Are you drafted into being a church member? No, this is optional, okay? And so you're not required. Kingdom of the left hand, you've got a different kind of a focus. It's not uh, eternal, it's temporal. It's just for this world. And we're gonna see in a minute, what is the, the, the government's job? Main job is to keep order, all right? This worldly power is based on human authority and there's no option, all right? When Caesar says you gotta pay taxes, yeah, you gotta pay taxes. And Jesus talked about that, right? Hey, is it right to pay taxes? Yeah. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar and render under God's what is God. So again, two, two kingdoms, all right? Let's go to Romans 13, let's go to Romans 13. So here's another passage uh, that uh, deals with the, the understanding of the the kingdom that you're in, the kingdom of the, the left hand, the, the temporal authority, the state. Government, you're going to see, is established by God. It's to keep order, all right? And, and it's owed certain things, whether you agree or disagree, all right, whether you voted for him or not. Now, again, in Paul's day when he's writing this, you don't vote for the Roman emperor. <laughs> yes, I like Nero. Yes, <laughs> you don't do that. It's just, this is who you got. So you're Romans 13, you're in verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the, the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what's good, and you'll receive his approval. For he's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he doesn't bear the sword in vain. For he's a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all who is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So you can see on the outline there, well, 
Government is established by God. Why? We're sinful people. We're the only religion worldview saying that. If you want to know the problem in the world, look in the mirror. It's you and I. It's not those people or that group. It's us as humans. You'll never find a perfect family, uh, city, church, school, business, whatever. So why is government established by God? To keep order because of our natural sinful inclination, right? The government needs to commend what's right and punish what's wrong. But it's got to know the difference, right? So some kind of moral standard has to be established. So when we talked about the, the aspects of a worldview, well, you start with an assumption, God is or God isn't. There's, a, there's an idea of reality. There's a natural and a supernatural realm or just a natural realm. And then there's an ethical standard. There's got to be some standard. You can't just do whatever you want. And so it'll either be God telling us or humans telling us. It could be a dictator. It could be a king. could be us voting. could be just polling and kind of consensus. But after a while, you've got to make a decision. Okay, this is the goalpost we're going to erect when it comes to ethics. And this is okay and this is not, right? Finally, they are clearly owed things, respect, taxes, whether, again, you voted for them or not. Again, back when Paul's writing this, you don't vote for the emperor. He goes, you've got to give these people respect, right? We're not going to take the time, but you can look at those passages, many of them from the book of Proverbs, or all of them, uh, from, just from the book of Proverbs, on what type of leaders or what characteristics leaders should have, right? They should be just, because they've got to punish right and wrong, right? They should be righteous. They should be speaking truth, and they should be in control, all right? So let's flip the sheet over and go to the backside, all right? As Christians, therefore, you've got these two kingdoms you live in. Well, as a Christian, great commission, all right? And so I'm so glad pastor's been emphasizing, yeah, well, let's be intentionally involved, engaged, all right? Let's, let's, let's be about the Lord's business in the kingdom of the right hand, the church. But as citizens, all right, what should we be? We need to be obedient. So as we just read in Romans, all right, you're subject to authorities. Now let's go to 1 Timothy 2. We need to be praying for those in authority. So the Senate confirmed um, Judge Kavanaugh, and so that was uh, an incredible um, uh, number of weeks here looking at what was going on in, uh, in, in the uh, selection of, of a new uh, justice on the Supreme Court. And if you saw all the uh, uh, demonstrations and everything going on, uh, it, it was absolutely fascinating. I know my wife and I prayed for Judge Kavanaugh, and we prayed for the woman, uh, Blasey Ford, and we prayed that God's will would be done. We, I pray this all the time in classes at Concordia when I was teaching at Milwaukee Lutheran, praying for our leaders that they'd make godly decisions, wise decisions that benefit us as people, that, that honor the Lord, right? Why? Why should we pray? 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 2. Now, Paul's writing to this church leader. He's leading in Ephesus, right? 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is kingdom of the left hand stuff. Why are you lifting up political figures if you did not vote for them or did not, do not agree with them politically? Look at 
what God is saying through Paul to these people in the first century, I urge that these prayers be made for all people, for kings, okay, we don't have a king, but for the president and governor and so on and so forth, right? All who are in high positions, judges, etc., etc. Why? So you can lead a, a peaceful and quiet life, uh, godly and dignified in every way. If there, there's peace, it's a better opportunity for the gospel to go out. When we did our study of John, we, we, we talked about this. The Roman Empire had the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. There's this peace now, and they made everybody speak a common language, Greek. They were road builders, so they, they could sh uh, transport and ship things. And so when you read Galatians 4, it says, but at the proper time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. At the proper time, God, why did you send your son during the Roman Empire? Was that the best time to disseminate the gospel to the maximum amount of people? It's fascinating to think about. Why? They spoke a common language. There was peace. There were roads. Obviously, there was shipping going on. So it's fascinating. At the proper time, why didn't you send him 500 years before that? Why not 1,000 years before that? Why then? It's, it's God's world. He knows what he's doing. So why are we praying for peace? So you can lead a quiet and godly life, uh, it, 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 godly and dignified in every way. This is good. Look at verse 3 now. And it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Watch this. Who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Look at, look at the next passage. For there is one man and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Left hand, kingdom of the state. Lord, bless those in authority that we would have peace. Why? So we can do our job as citizens of the kingdom of the right hand. That we can go out and preach Christ crucified. Okay? Finally, informed and involved. Let's go to Jeremiah 29.7. We looked at this before. Let's look at it again. This is one of my favorite passages when it talks about being involved in uh, the state. Uh, so when it comes to voting, when it comes to talking about issues, well, you never talk about politics and religion. You never talk about politics and religion. You have to. <laughs> so if you remember nothing else, just remember that, all right? When people go, well, you should never talk about politics and religion. Oh, really? <laughs> so uh, we, don't, we don't want to offend anybody. Well, remember, you, you're seeing more atheism in Generation Z. People not even thinking about God. You have to talk about religion, all right? You're salt and light. Well, why should we talk about politics? Because we want to live quiet and peaceful lives and all godliness and holiness. Because there's issues out there. And if you just allow what's being said and, 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 and not have a different side being spoken, people will just believe whatever they hear. You're in Jeremiah 29 and verse 7. Context is, nation of Judah, two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, violated the covenant, did not keep the covenant that God had established with Israel. He had promised this in Deuteronomy 28 that they would be taken as captives, and sure enough, he's keeping his promise. So now they're being led by the Babylonians out of Israel, Judah specifically, two southern tribes, to Babylon, all right? They're going to be there for 70 years. So if you start up at verse 4, all right, again, just to understand the context. 
Jeremiah 29, start at verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that there may be sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Watch this now, seven. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. You're going to be here for 70 years. You better put down roots. No, you're not just pitching a tent. You need to build houses, plant a garden, get married, work. And work for the city in which you are taken into exile, Babylon. And pray to God on its behalf. Pagans? Seriously? Yeah, he goes... Because if it does well, you'll do well. Kingdom of the left hand stuff. All right. Take a look at the outline there. Alliance Defending Freedom. Some of you have heard of ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom. Christians, Christian leaders, now what? You know, uh, over almost 25 years ago, started seeing what was happening and said, "We have got to safeguard." our rights as American citizens because there's a deliberate decision to attack specifically in, in religious uh, freedom areas. So ADF is founded in 1994. They will argue your cases. It's funded by other people, all right? They, will, they train lawyers so they understand specifically being able to defend religious liberty issues. And they argue for freedom. If you take a look at number two there, Great winning percentage, 80%. 54 victories just in the U.S. Supreme Court alone. So it's not a fly-by-night organization. And so if, if you have legal questions, um, I, I remember when, when the gay marriage uh, decision was handed down by the Supreme Court, ADF had information. Churches and schools, you need to protect yourselves now, and this is what you need. So they were just offering all this information that you could just download. And I remember I gave it to our uh, CEO, uh, Cole Brown, at, at uh, Lutheran High School Association. Uh, shared it uh, with, with Pastor Goodwin, saying, are you aware of this, right? And so just to understand, this is now the culture you live in. Thankfully, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has understood the times and, and is knowing what to do. So if you look at the third bulleted point there, the Free to Be Faithful campaign was launched in 2012, all right? Helping Lutheran churches understand and then to educate and motivate their citizens, their parishioners, to take informed action, specifically on religious freedom issues. So there was this emphasis in Lutheran Church Missouri Synod out of the headquarters in St. Louis. Hey, let's make sure all of our parishioners know about this, all right? This is really important. Things are changing. So we need to keep our finger on the pulse because we live in, these, in both kingdoms. Now, just this year, number two there, the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty, or LCRL, has opened in Washington, D.C. It's three blocks from the Supreme Court building. So they're right there, knee-deep in it. What are they emphasizing? They're supporting policymakers in government to maintain the rights that God has given us. All right? All people. All right? All people. But they're, they're specifically emphasizing the idea of marriage and life and, and religious liberty. Those are the three main thrusts, all right? A lot to chew on, but the main takeaway, again, is 
be citizens, have conviction, right? These two C's, right? Convictions and citizens, understanding we're in kingdoms of the left and the right. Let's break here, 7-Eleven. Let's stand and break for two minutes. Stand up, stretch, get a drink of water if you need to. We'll take a two-minute break. Everybody who's now listening on the recording, we're in a two-minute break. I'm going to sing in the two minutes. No, I'm just joking. All right, so we're back after our two-minute break. And let's go to the second sheet, American Founding Fathers and Faith. Let's go to the second sheet, American Founding Fathers and Faith. Understanding in critical theory that cultural Marxism attacks capitalism, economic system, right? Why? Socialism is desired, it's better, right? That's the argument. Um, and then, and if you got questions on that, we can talk about that. And then Christianity, right? That's the other thing that's in the sites, right? The Christian uh, religion and the moral foundations uh, that are here. So now we're turning to this sheet, American Founding Fathers and Faith. Our founders are not perfect. 52 of the 55 signers of the Declaration were Christian. If you go back and look at who they were involved with, churches, evangelistic organizations, all right? 
Sometimes you're, oh, they were all deists. They just believed God existed, but they didn't believe in Christ as Savior. Like, no, that's not true. Go back and look at what they said, what they wrote, okay? Primary source documents, that's huge, right? Go back and read it for yourself, right? Uh, America's, uh, God and, uh, America's God and Country, I think I've told you about that, encyclopedia of quotes. It's just A to Z, a wonderful thing. But there's this deeper foundation that the nation is founded upon, right? And it's that there's a higher authority. Take a look at the second bulleted point. Harvard has a fascinating history, right? So first university in the United States, 1636, and its rules uh, for founding and the like, they talk about Christ is the foundation of all learning and knowledge. Their original motto in Latin, veritas et Christo et ecclesia, Truth for Christ in the church. The original founding and the original motto, truth for Christ in the church. Now it's just truth. Now it just says veritas if you take a look at their, at their seal. All right? Next bulleted point. Princeton, 1746 founding statement. Cursed is all learning that's contrary to the cross of Christ. Clearly, clearly founded by Christians. So when you go back, what did the Christians do? Well, remember the Great Commission? Go out and make disciples and teach them to obey everything. So we have schools, we've got churches, we've got universities. They're going to train pastors and teachers. So that's why these things uh, were what they were. Columbia, 1754 seal, has God's name Yahweh on it. I am, right? Exodus 3.14. And then a number of scripture passages on it, Old and New Testament. So what did our founders say? They're not perfect, but do they have anything to say? Or should we tear down all their statues? Like Anne Hathaway said, destroy this and build a better world. Listen to the, some of the founders. Governor Morris, Speaker of the Continental Congress. Religion is the only solid basis of good morals. Therefore, education should teach the precepts of religion and the duties of man toward God. Samuel Adams, governor of Massachusetts, and really good brewmaster, okay? <laughs> good, just checking to see if you're awake, all right. Advocated education, quote, in study and prayer of the exalted knowledge of the Christian system. You, you will see specifically, they, they talk about Christianity, right? Benjamin Rush, our first Surgeon General, I lament that we waste so much time and money in punishing crimes, watch this, and then show little power to prevent them. So what did he argue for? Universal education of our youth in the principles of Christianity by means of the Bible. Northwest's ordinance back in 1787 was the requirements for becoming a state. Religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools, and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. Noel Webster, schoolmaster of the nation, he wrote the first dictionary in 1828. He said, evidently to his contemporaries, I feel the Lord is leading me to write a book that gives the definition of, of words. And so people would have a common, a common coin to speak, right? And, and go, this is what this word means. So when you talk about Webster's dictionary, that's, that's who it's from. In my view, the Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. No truth is more evident to my mind than that, than that the Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people. 
George Washington's farewell address, 1796. The Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. The Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to serve the rights and privileges of a free people. When we get to the quote by a Chinese social scientist at the end of our study, and we're going to go over time. I'm just going to tell you right now. So if you've got to go, go, all right? It's being recorded, right? But I'm just going to tell you right now. When you, when you hear the quote of a Chinese social scientist, these quotes will make sense. Going, wow, yeah, it's, it's your religion. That's, that's what's made your nation so great. John Adams, second president. Statesman, my dear sir, may plan and speculate for liberty, but it is religion and morality alone which can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. Benjamin Rush again, the only foundation republic is to be laid in religion. George Washington again, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. We're, we're not good, we're sinful. <laughs> reason, experience point that out, okay? You need to teach religious principles. Charles Carroll signer of the Declaration. Without morals, our public cannot subsist any length of time. They, therefore, who are decrying the Christian religion are undermining the solid foundation of morals, the best source of the duration of free governments. Sam Adams again. Religion and good morals are only solid foundation uh, of public liberty and happiness. Patrick Henry, Patrick Henry, governor of Virginia, the great pillars of all government and social life are virtue, morality, and religion. This is the armor, and this alone thus renders us invincible. Flip the sheet over, go to the backside. Alexis de Tocqueville, he was a Frenchman who came and, and examined the United States. He wrote a book called Democracy in America. He was just blown away by what was going on here. Quote, the Americans combine the notions of Christianity and of liberty so intimately in their minds that it's impossible to make them conceive the one without the other. Upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. And the longer I stayed there, the more I perceived the great political consequences resulting from this new state of things. In France, I had almost always seen the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom marching in opposite directions. But in America, I found that they were intimately united that they reigned in common over the same country. Benjamin Franklin again, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. Noah Webster again, all the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. John Adams, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our Constitution, watch this, was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. You cannot have all this freedom with the government that we have and not have a moral compass by which you guide yourself. And so if you're not going to teach morality, well, it's just up to individuals. Eventually it breaks down because you just can't do whatever you want, right? You've got to develop some kind of ethical standard. Daniel Webster, Congressman, Senator, Secretary of State. To preserve government, we must preserve morality. Morality rests on religion. 
If you destroy the foundation, the superstructure must fall. William Bradford, Bradford, governor of the Plymouth Colony, we have noted these things so that you might see their worth and not neg ne uh, negligently lose what your fathers have obtained with so much hardship. None of these men were perfect. Do they have anything to say? Benjamin Franklin, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of Lights to illuminate our understanding? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? And I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. Finally, Abraham Lincoln. But we have forgotten God. We've forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Can you imagine a politician saying this stuff today? You keep your religion out of this. You keep it to yourself. And, and that's what we're living with. You're free to believe whatever you want, but just keep it to yourself. And so you've got to train the next generation kids and grandkids, but ourselves included. You can't just go, well, you kids take care of it. To go, look, you don't keep this to yourself, right? Whether it's your faith or your political involvement, because you're in both kingdoms, right? Now, John Dewey is what some people call the father of American education. And, and one of the things he talked about is, well, there's no God, there's no soul, and there's no moral absolutes. And so, for example, when we're taking a look at issues in our, in our Foundations of Education class, and we've got, a, again, a secular textbook. It's not written from a Christian perspective, but that's what I can bring to the table. Now, some of those candidates for education at Concordia, some are going into Lutheran ed, and some are going to public ed, but I want to make sure everybody's got an understanding. Okay, this is what's out there, all right? So here's these educational philosophies, and here's what they teach, here's what they espouse. And so when it comes to, for example, sex ed and what goes on in schools, it's just shocking. But if you understand, hey, there's no moral absolutes. So the latest thing with the gender issue is drag queen story hour. Raise your hand if you heard of drag queen story hour. Okay, some of you have. So libraries have this, but also now public schools are having this. You bring in a drag queen, they read a book to the kids about gender issues. There's all sorts of children's books on gender issues. That's a whole topic in and of itself. So I talked to the students about this. Okay, you better know as you go out, okay, what do you believe? Because now this is what the schools are doing. Hey, whatever. And it all stems from this concept, all right? If you're interested in more of this American Founding Fathers and Faith, I mentioned the Truth Project before. Truth Project is outstanding. It's 12 one-hour videos. And Dr. Dell Tackett is the host of that, and it's just outstanding. Bottom of the sheet there, there's a, a pattern that seems to be followed. When you read Deuteronomy, God says to the people, now be careful, 
when you enter into the land of Canaan and settle and everything's good, be careful you don't forget who set this up for you. And that's what happens. Take a look at the cycle of nations. You get blessed and you get satisfied and you think it's all you're doing, a proud heart. So you forget God. God gets people's attention. It happens in the book of Judges all the time. There'll be, there'll be some disaster, an invasion, a problem, okay? And then the people, 6, 7, and 8, will remember, return as they repent. And that's what Lincoln was talking about. Maybe we need to humble ourselves, okay? So let's turn back to the sheet and, and, and wrap up here. And again, if you've got to go, you've got to go. The growth in atheists and the nuns uh, is, is very, very fascinating because it's, it's a clear growth. The other religions are pretty flat, flatlined. Christianity has dropped from 88% to 70% in the last 40 years. The nuns have risen from 7 to 23%, all right? In the 2012 election, in the 2012 election, when people go back and look at demographics and everything, they said, you gotta understand the nuns were more politically active than Christian evangelicals, okay? So the, the nuns clearly have an agenda, and, and, and if you understand the agenda, it's, you know what, our nation would be better without this religion, all right? Because the religion's oppressive, the religion is the problem. So again, if you understand critical theory and cultural Marxism, you understand why they're saying that, they've been taught all this, all right? So on the sheet, they're atheistic goals. In the early 2000s, there were four bestsellers that hit American bookstands, all right? And if you want the titles, I can give those to you. The bottom line is, people were going, what in the world? Why are all these books coming out? Why are all these websites appearing? So for example, you can go to thebrights.com, and the brights are for people who are bright, who believe that there's no God. I would be a dullard because I believe in God, okay? But if I wanted to renounce my faith in Christ, I could post that on the Bright's website. I renounce my faith in God and then show the world I'm bright, okay? Because only smart people understand there's, there's no God. So why were these books flying off the shelf, right? The idea was we need to come out, we need to state that really there's a lot more of us atheists out here but if we're just kind of living in fear, so if we would just come out, you know, somebody's got to take the first step and then other people will join in, right? Billboards showing up, watch at Christmas time, there'll be billboards again mocking Christ and, and the nativity and the light. And again, you really believe this? Number two, to demolish any rational basis for the faith, all right? You guys really believe this? There's no evidence for this. It's all a fairy tale. Come on, you're better than this. You're bright, aren't you? You're not a dullard. You're not an idiot. And most of all, though, to stop religion's influence. So we need to remove vestiges of religious influence in government, right? But what's fascinating is, and, and I've seen a couple of studies over in the 2000s, and it's still in this kind of a third, a third, a third range, right? 2010 Pew Research found this. 24% of Americans said, you got the right amount of religious influence in government, okay? 37% said, oh, there's, there, there's too little. We could actually use a little more. Only 29% said, yeah, there's too much. So there's not this hue and cry for, oh yeah, there's too much, too much religion. But remember, as older generations pass, 
and you, you look at the stats, you've got to go back and look at the handouts from the earlier weeks. The baby boomers and the Gen Xers, yeah, you got more Christians than, the, than Gen Z. Now, who knows what will happen? Maybe those Gen Zs will convert, right? Who knows, all right? But the trend is Christianity going down and nuns going up. So as there's more of that, those people with that viewpoint, who knows where their votes are going to go and what they're going to do. Oftentimes, you'd see people who are arguing for no religious influence in government bringing up things from the Christian church's past. And on one level, they've got you. They've got us, all right? Oh, you're right. This was wrong. This is bad. It's a, it's a black mark on the history of the church, right? They'll bring up the Spanish Inquisition and the thousands dead. They'll bring up the witch hunts and the thousands dead. There's no way to sugarcoat those things, to soft pedal it, to go, eh, it wasn't that bad. You, know, you can't, all right? Because it's like, this is just flat out wrong, all right? It was just bad. It was stupid. It was wrong, okay? But... Is that the only thing the church has done? Now remember, in critical theory, that's all you do. You just pound on that. You just pound on that. It's a one-way street. It's all bad. You never talk about the good. That's why that, that book, How Christianity Changed the World, is so good. Because it says, if you want to understand this culture, it's because of the Christian church and the benefits it's brought to everybody, whether you're a believer or not. So it's such a, it's such a great book to read. They'll bring up wars. Well, wars, we all know, are fought because of religion. That's simply not the case. So this one is actually a poor argument, but if you tell a lie loud enough, long enough, and often enough, people believe it. If you just keep repeating a lie long enough, long, loud enough, long enough, often enough, people believe it. So 7% of the 1,763 wars recorded in the Encyclopedia of Wars were religious or, or based on some religious issue, okay? The vast majority are not on just religion, right? And so what's the bottom line? Number four, the Bible, religion, stands in our way. We're going to make a utopia, but we've got to get rid of these old ways. So that's why part three, what's critical theory? Well, the belief that Christianity and capitalism is bad, get rid of it. Anne Hathaway, let's tear down this old, let's tear this world apart and build a better one. We're good. Those people are the problem. Eliminate them and we'll make this utopia. We'll transform it. Oh, okay. One way you can counter this, you can raise your kids, your grandkids to understand this. Again, we've we got to educate our, our, our people in the history of the Christian church and the benefits it's brought to culture. But also use the same argument. Okay, so if we're going to look at the body count that people who were religious when they're in power caused, let's look at the body count for those people who are in power who were atheists. So if you take a look at atheism in power, French Revolution, there was a part of the French Revolution called the Reign of Terror. It's a 10-month span in 1793. They had a de-Christianizing policy, right? We're going to take the priests and anybody protecting priests and we're going to kill them. Tens of thousands of people dead. Russian Revolution, kind of a similar thing, 1917. You teach your kids the faith, you'll be arrested, you'll be put to death, or sent to a gulag and you'll be working for 10 years hard labor. For a 13-year span, 130,000 priests arrested, of which 95,000 are killed. 
So we're comparing apples to apples. Oh, see, when theists are in power, look at the body count. You go, yeah, that's bad. Now let's look at the body count over here when atheists are in power. It goes through the roof when you just look at Nazi Germany, communist nations like China and the like, Soviet Union. Over 170 million people killed in the name of an atheistic worldview, Marxism, or National Socialism. So the, the, the leaders, Soviet Union, 61 million people killed, China, 35 million, Nazi Germany, 20 million. Rudolf Rummel at the University of Hawaii wrote a book, it's called Death by Government. He points this out. You know what's the worst thing that can happen to people? It's not disease. It's not natural catastrophe like a tornado, earthquake, tsunami, whatever. It's not war, as terrible as, as it is, as, as all those things are. He goes, it's what type of government you have. So the book is called Death by Government because it, it, it examines the body counts across the planet in history. And so what's the, the biggest threat to people? It's government. It's not war. It's not disease. It's not natural catastrophes. Finally, when you're talking to people, and we need to make this a more secular union, to make it a more perfect union, just help people understand, well, the track record is not good. The argument will be, well, we'll do it differently. Why? We're better? The, the body count in the 21st century just skyrocketed under Marxism and, and, and National Socialism, Nazism. Freedom House, like Amnesty International, is a human rights group that looks at what's going on in the world, all right? 194 nations on the planet. I think I mentioned this before. It pretty, pretty much breaks down a third, a third, a third. A third of the nations of the planet, 38% specifically, are free nations. 28% mostly free. 34% not free at all. If you look at the list of nations that are free or mostly free, almost all are due to a Western civilization foundation. Japan would be an example of a, of a country that's free, but it's not based on, on Western civilization, Judeo-Christian ethics, right? The ones that are not free, the 34% the that are not free, they're dominated by non-Christian civilizations. Uh, Muslim, uh, Marxist. So if you want to look at human rights abuses, you, you look at those nations. But what you're seeing in America is, no, this is a land of oppression. It is evil. It, and that's where you just go, wow. I mean, uh, do you remember the Time Magazine cover? This is the illustration I'll use in class with the Teaching the Faith class. Do you remember the Time Magazine cover with the woman who escaped Afghanistan when her nose and ears had been cut off by the Taliban? I don't know if you remember this number of years ago. Okay, so, so she makes the cover of Time Magazine. Her nose had been cut off, her ears had been cut off. She had broken some law in Sharia law, and that's what they did. So she survived, she makes it to the United States, and she wants to tell her story. So Time Magazine is telling her story, and then they said, can we put your picture on the cover? And she said, yes, I want my story to be told. Time caught a lot of flack being charged with sensationalism. How could you use that woman? How could you exploit her like that? And their response was, she wanted us to tell her story. And so you, it was just so powerful. Here's this woman. Now, she's had plastic surgery and had her, her nose and ears restored and the like. 
But when people talk about oppression and religious oppression and Christian privilege and, and et cetera, et cetera, it diminishes what that word means because that's what oppression is, to slice someone's nose off, to cut their ears off. And it's not based on Judeo-Christian principles. I, I, we don't get the channel, we don't watch it, but The Handmaid's, the show called The Handmaid's Tale, I don't know if everybody's familiar with it, it's this dystopian vision of the future where Christians are running the show and women are subjugated and they're pretty much just sex slaves and it's just this thing where you go, really? That, that, that's what we teach here at Grace? And that, really? But that's the, the, the culture that, that you live in. So Freedom House just goes, well, if you want to look at freedom across the world, you're going to see it in Western culture. Cultural Marxism was designed to take down Western culture. Final quote, this is what I alluded to before. There was a Chinese social scientist and he confessed, we wanted to figure out why the West was so great. So we did our research and it took years, check this out. One of the things we were asked to look into was what accounted for the success, in fact, the preeminence of the West all over the world. We studied everything we could from the historical, political, economic, and cultural perspective. At first, we thought it was because you had the best political system. Next, we focused on your economic system. But in the past 20 years, we've realized that the heart of your culture is your religion, Christianity. That's why the West has been so powerful. The Christian moral foundation of social and cultural life was what made possible the emergence of capitalism and then the successful transition to democratic politics. We don't have any doubt about this. That's a powerful quote. Want to read more about that book at the bottom there, David Aikman's The Delusion of Disbelief. David Aikman used to be a Time Magazine correspondent in China. And when those books started coming out on atheism left and right, he wrote this book called The Delusion of Disbelief. And he just goes, look, you've got to understand. If you want a better, more perfect union, you're going to stay on this track that you're on. Okay? And when atheists outside the nation look at it and go, why is the West so powerful? Is it the economics? Is it the government? Is it, oh, it's your religious foundation. It's the people inside who are trying to take it down from within, all right? That's all I wrote. Questions, thoughts, comments. Again, we're over time. If you gotta go, you gotta go. Questions, thoughts, comments. Go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. He made sure that there were many, many photographs taken because he said in the future the historians will never believe this. Yeah, yeah. And it's been in Europe that have been out of a lot of the textbooks. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the, the, the comment was, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln being falsely accused of having slaves. No, no, he did just the opposite. He freed them. Um, and with uh, the liberation of the Nazi concentration camps, uh, Eisenhower asking for photos to be taken so this could be documented so future generations would know this, right? Uh, when I was in grade school, I remember there was a student of mine, or a fellow classmate of mine, when we were looking at Nazi Germany and what had happened, he came back the next day and said, I talked to my dad about that, and he said that never happened. What else? 
Jo. Uh, atheistic books? Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. So it was, it was early 2000s, and so the titles were, uh, let's see, Letter to a Christian Nation by Sam Harris. Letter to a Christian Nation by Sam Harris. The God Delusion, Richard Dawkins. Breaking the Spell by Daniel Dennett. There's a fourth one and it escapes me, the author and the title. But these, these were bestsellers, and after a while, when, you know, you were just one bestseller, you're okay. And all of a sudden there's four, and people were going in the early 2000s, what is going on? And it was a concerted effort to go, well, we need to get the word out. Maybe we'll try this approach. Fascinating. Go. How can a church influence elections when that separation? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so uh, Pastor Howard can't tell you who to vote for or anything like that. But the whole idea, uh, uh, and this is where we, 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 we got to do our homework. What can the church offer, all right? So is it, uh, is it registration? Is it information that will be available in Arthex so people know about issues? And here's a voter's guide, so it's got a comparison and contrast. You know, is it that kind of stuff, right? So still violate that, that's, that's where I, I can't tell you off the top of my head what you can and can't do. But that's the kind of stuff that we should know. And then just, we, we could do that here, all right? If that's what's permissible, okay, we can do this, all right? But this whole idea of not, we're not going to say anything about anything. You have to. If you remember uh, in Houston uh, a number of years ago, uh, the, the mayor said, I want the Christian... Uh, pastors to give me your sermons, your outlines on what you were saying regarding uh, the, the bathroom issue, that everyone can use these bathrooms. You can't step into our, our, our sanctuaries and do this, right? I'm sorry. We're not going to turn over our notes to you. So we can talk about issues, and that, uh, that has to be all clarified. So there's groups. So, for example, Alliance Defending Freedom, if we'd go online, Alliance Defending Freedom, we could probably find out, yeah, this is exactly what you can do in a church, and you don't have to worry. You're not doing anything wrong. You can have information available for your Christians. What else? Go. I just want to thank you for your knowledge and the way this was all laid out in a clear and concise manner that I can understand. So thank you very much. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I tried to package it in four weeks so we can understand it, all right? And, and that's where I know sometimes it feels like you're drinking out of a fire hose, but at least you got a week to think about it and then we can ask questions, right? And, and I don't want you to butter my bread or anything, but I just need to get a feel for this. By a show of hands, how many of you understood most of what we were talking about? By a show of hands, how many of you understood most? Okay, good, all right. So again, I didn't make your head, put your heads down. Normally in class I would do that, all right? Put your head down so you can't be influenced by other people because you just raise your hand because other people were raising their hands, all right? Don't do that. What else? Thoughts, questions, comments? Right. So uh, David Aikman in his book, The Delusion of Disbelief, he does not name the Chinese social scientist. He, I don't know. I don't know. He, he, <laughs> maybe that's it. In an undisclosed location, <laughs> this is what he told me, right? And his name shall forever remain anonymous. I don't, I don't know who it was. He did not include it in the quote, so I couldn't, I couldn't share it either. But I shared what I, what I could. Yes, ma'am. Do you know if there's a website that um, can explain Bible verses or Bible stories or 
will say that use the argument, well, the Bible has been mistranslated, or like we were just watching a video, like the first video when you pull up YouTube on what does the church say about homosexuality, the first video goes through it, and it puts Christianity in a positive light, puts the Bible in a positive light, but it goes through and, you know, it sounds very convincing. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What I found is this, right? Biblehub.com. 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 Right. What was that again? Biblehub.com. So, uh, you don't have to know Hebrew or Greek, but there are so many resources at this one site, and so when the website comes up, there'll be this white bar. You just type in the verse, okay? And then the verse will come up. And then there's a tab you can click on, and it'll say interlinear. Interlinear. So you click on interlinear, and there's the verse now. If it's in the Old Testament, it'll be, here's the verse in English, here's the verse in Hebrew. If you're in the New Testament, here's the verse in English, here's the verse in Greek. And then you can actually click on the Greek word, and it'll take you to another page, another screen, that says, here's what that Greek word means. And it'll give you all sorts of information. And then there's all sorts of commentaries on there to explain this, that, and everything. What does that verse mean? Well, you could ask Pastor Howard, and he can explain it to you, or you can click on the commentary, and you can read, you know, 37 different commentaries just on that one verse. And so it's for the whole Bible. It's a great website where, again, you don't have to know Greek or Hebrew, but you'll find out real fast what these things mean. And that's the good news, right? What you're going to find is this. You've got, and, and again, we're kind of going in a different direction now. You've got people who started with the idea is this the inspired and errant word of God? No. So again, now, now all of a sudden you start part of company. Why aren't, there, why aren't there just one giant Christian denomination? Because we don't believe the exact same thing, right? Whether it's end times or communion or baptism or this. So when there's churches, Christian churches who go, this is um, God's word, but it's been changed or it, it, we know better now and so, again, it's subject to our interpretation. And so, anyway, the, the way we speak, the way we read, you, you take a word, you look at the word, what it means, you know the context, right? It's just how you do it. So this is not new. But the argument is, well, that's not really what that means. And, and, and we know better today. Huh, okay, so we're, we're changing what it means. And that's why I like BibleHub.com. You can find out what the words mean and you can see, okay, this is what it's all about. And it's made a little bit more clear. What was that site again? BibleHub.com. Hub. Hub. Bible Hub. All one word. H-U-B. Hub. Hub. Bible Hub. Go. Can you tell us your email address I'm sorry, say it again, please. Yeah, so the email address, if you want to shoot me an email, brad.alice at cuw.edu. So brad, B-R-A-D, dot, it's a little, okay, alice, A-L-L-E-S, at cuw.edu. Yeah, I'd love to shoot you an email. You can go, also go to my website, bradalice.com, bradalice.com. You can email me through that as well. 
and, and, and the website's designed to defend the faith and explain the Christian worldview, so you can find all sorts of information there on things. So if you look and you can't find it, you can shoot me an email through bradalice.com and, and, and we can do it that way too, whatever works for you. What else? <laughs> Yeah, so, so for example, in education circles, so people say, you know, in our 21st century, things are changing so rapidly. You've got to get kids who are a little bit more nimble, and so we need to emphasize the four C's. Communication, collaboration, creativity, and critical thinking. Okay? And so, and that's, that's an interesting thing to talk about, right? I think there's, there's you, can't, you can't neglect subject matter. <laughs> you gotta know your stuff, right? But it is, you know, yeah, you, you're gonna have to be able to have kids be a little bit more nimble and agile. Yeah, so, so is our textbook. So, for example, in our education class, Foundations of Education, we have a textbook uh, it's the best one we could find. It's, it's called Foundations of American Education. It's the eighth edition. Uh, and so, again, it's not written from a biblical perspective, but that's what I can bring to the table. So here's the assigned reading for the, for the day, and now we're going to talk about this. So, for example, when the text just mentions critical theory, social reconstructionism, educational philosophy, built on critical theory. Well, it doesn't flesh that out, so then I explain it to the kids. So if you want to subscribe to that, you're free to do that, right? But you better know what you're subscribing to. We're going to change this nation through the schools because we're adopting this critical theory mindset. Okay? And in the teaching the faith class, we've got the Bible. Uh, we've got how Christianity changed the world. We've got a book called Building the Faith One Child at a Time. And then we've got another book, and they were using it before I got there. It's called Life's Big Questions, God's Big Answers my book. So that's why I always tell the kids, look, they were using this before I got here. <laughs> oh, so yeah, so the two C's that I think we should emphasize is conviction and citizenship. And so I think you and I have to know what we believe and why, defend the faith, kingdom of the right hand, and be good citizens, kingdom of the left hand. And so you've got to teach kids civics, you know, government. I think there should be a, a requirement in, in all the schools uh, and not an optional thing or whatever. So you can take basket weaving or whatever. So. You should have another C, Christianity. And Christianity, yeah. So, and you integrate that into all the subjects, and it's a win-win. What else? Well, now the burning question. Will the Brewers be in the World Series? Yes. And the answer is yes. All right. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I thank you for the chance to take a look at what's going on. And Lord, I pray that we would not be afraid because you have not given us a spirit of timidity, but a, power, a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Lord, I thank you that you put us in this time and place and that you gathered us for a reason to continue to make you known, but also to continue to be the citizens in this nation. Because if it prospers, we'll prosper, and there can be peace, and there can be a, a better place to live for all people, and then your word can go out unhindered. Lord, we pray a blessing over Pastor Howard as he continues to shepherd us. We pray a blessing on the new search that will go for uh, an assistant pastor. 
pray a blessing also on the work that all of us have, that you'd continue to guide us and that we'd be faithful. We love you, Lord, because you've loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you around. You bet. I don't know. <laughs> Watch your bulletin. I don't know. <laughs> if you follow through this, yeah. judgment destruction, why did all the mainline Christian churches say there was no anger in God with Katrina? With Katrina? Yeah. Um. And, and, and I agree with that because of Luke 13, right? Because the Tower of Siloam falls because you think those are the worst people. Those are all going to die. Those are bad, right? And I think that's why I agree with that, right? But I think God can get your attention, right? And so that's what I think we ought to do. So 9 11 or whatever, God, God. I don't know why this keeps on flipping. That's right. But this was oh. an editorial in the Savage Paper in Israel. Making room for God's anger by a Baptist message. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I think those wake up calls He says, Vengeance is mine, I shall repay. Right, 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 right. And you guys keep on screwing up, I'm going to take you out. Right. <laughs> and, and Romans 1 the wrath of God is revealed against all wickedness and reality. Stored up for judgment day. Yeah. <laughs> but beforehand, I think these wake up calls to get us to get back. Yeah. Get a listen to coffee. So, oh, I should turn this off here. <laughs> Sorry. Goodbye. I hope you had a great trip. And we'll see you soon. <laughs>